Everyone is looking for purpose, for a life that matters, and we want to be a church that helps people find that. This is the Collective Church Podcast from a life-giving and vibrant new church right here in London, Ontario. Here's this past week's message from our pastor, Tyler Fromm. Well, good morning and welcome to Collective Church. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the lead pastors. We're glad that you are with us. You did it. You braved the roads. Some of the people on our team came in early from far away and they were saying that they were praying ceaselessly as they were driving along the 401 and it was incredibly slippery. So I'm, I'm hoping that for most of us who came a little bit later that the roads are a little bit better We're in a series called The Way of Jesus. The reminder for us is that Jesus is not inviting those of us who would call ourselves uh, followers of Jesus, not inviting us to just add something to our life, but instead he's reorienting our life. This new way of living, this new way of of choosing to, to align our life. And we're doing that, we're exploring the way of Jesus by working through Luke. Verse by verse, chapter by, by chapter. And so one of the things that we have uh, for you, if, if, you're, uh, if you hop on our website, you can find a journal that you can actually work through Luke on your own through the week. Because we don't want it just to be that you hear from God or that you're engaging with Scripture on a Sunday only, but what does it look like through the week? And then as we gather together, we can reorient ourselves and gather and be reminded of what it looks like to follow the way of Jesus. I wonder if anyone in the room will be honest, or maybe anyone in the chat will be honest. Anyone in here get hangry? Hangry. You're like, and if you're with your spouse and you hadn't put your hand up there, look at you going, that, that's you. Okay, Lee, my wife, gets hangry. And I used to hack on her. I'd be like, what's wrong with you? It's just food. Like, and just so we're clear, hangry is when you're so hungry, you're just angry. And with Lee, I'm like, it didn't seem to take very much. It's like, there's just a little bit of hunger, and then the rage would come out, and I get it. Like, if you're part of the team, or you're around Lee, you're like, man, she is a sweetheart, and she's the greatest. But also, also, she gets hangry. And I would, I would bug her and make fun of her, but I have to be honest, my opinion is changing this month. It's changing because Lee and I are doing a fast, now, many of the people that are part of Collective on the team, we're fasting. Lee and I's fast is we are not eating anything. We're just liquids until 5 p.m., okay? Liquids until 5 p.m. I notice in the afternoon I start to get hangry. In fact, I notice between the hours of 3 and 5 p.m., as I'm starting to picture and even fantasize about what I might put in my mouth and eat, I start to, I start to act in a way that is not... Uh, not great. I would say it might even be fair to say I'm barely a Christian between three and five right now. Like, if you want to call me for any reason, don't call me between three and five, which coincidentally is also when our kids get home, like Ava gets home from school and Parker wakes up from his nap. And so they come up and they're like, hey, dad, 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 can we have a snack? And I'm like, no, we eat together. You don't get anything. I'm hangry. 
There's this passage in Luke where Jesus is hungry and yet responds completely differently than I would. He's fasting and yet responds completely differently. Between three and five, I I struggle. And what we actually see in Jesus' life is as he's fasting and as he's hungry, he is strong. And I I read that and I want to work through it because I think that we should be asking ourselves, why and how and what can we learn? I think we can all be honest, even if you didn't put your hand up, to say that when we are hungry, we're rarely at our best. Like, I don't know anyone that when they're hungry is when they're really firing on all cylinders. And yet the example of Jesus that we see is that he's hungry and yet thriving. I want to read from Luke 4, uh, and I want to start in verse 1 and 2. It says this, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at that time. All that time. 40 days. And became very hungry. Let's pray. God, I pray that in these moments that it wouldn't just be about information, but instead an invitation to transformation. Change us. As we read your words, we believe that you want to speak to us and, and draw us closer, maybe challenge us, maybe encourage us. And so, God, I ask that you would still whatever voices we have that are distracting us, that even as we are trying to draw our attention on you, that our phone wouldn't start going off or the, the stresses of the week to come wouldn't be at the forefront, but instead your still small voice would speak. God, may it not be my words, but your words that, that resonate with people. God, I need you. We need you. And we give you this time and we pray all of it in your holy and precious name. Amen. Now, in this series, The Way of Jesus, one of the things that I've introduced that I think has been a paradigm shift for me, and I, I, I want it to be a paradigm shift for us as a church, is the idea of apprenticeship to Jesus. We use the words in the church of discipleship, and we say we want to be disciples, and that's valuable. But, but one of the things that's helpful if you're looking at even original language is that there's this idea of apprenticeship. And that's helpful for us to understand because we recognize that with, as apprentices, we have a different responsibility. We have a responsibility daily to learn from our master, the one who goes before us, who is the one that we look up to. And one of the things that I read in John Mark Homer's work that's really helpful is in that framework of apprenticeship to Jesus, there are three categories. Be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. If we do that, if we are with Jesus, if we become like Jesus, and if we do what he did, we become apprentices to Jesus. This is our framework. And so even as we look at this passage, I want you to be thinking all the time, okay, what does it look like to be with Jesus here? What does it look like to become like Jesus? And what does it look like to, to do what he did? What does that look like? As I'm reading, as I'm reading scripture and I'm reading about Jesus, what, what does it look like to do those things? The invitation for us is to sit at his feet. As apprentices, to sit at his feet and allow him to teach us. Jesus is hungry, and he's tempted for 40 days, and he does not give up. How was he able to remain strong in the season 
in the wilderness. When he was tested in the wilderness, how was he able to remain strong? Verse 1 says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Other translations say he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, I want you to think about how significant that is. This wasn't Jesus on a walk or deciding at some point, I'm going to go in the wilderness, or, oh, I don't know what happened, or he's drawn into the wilderness by other things. The Holy Spirit, God, is actually moving him into the wilderness, leading him into the wilderness. Now, think about that in our own lives. I recognize that some of us are in the wilderness because we made some poor decisions. Some of us are in seasons where it feels like a desert and we feel like we're just wandering. And some of it is because we've made some decisions that have backfired. But then there are also others of us, and I think probably a larger percentage, that find ourselves in the wilderness as we're following Jesus going, how could this happen? Why am I in the desert? Why am I struggling? Why am I finding myself wandering in this? And we see through Jesus this reminder that sometimes... God actually led us there. We're not there because, oh, something happened or because other things around us controlled it. God actually is leading us into the wilderness, into the desert, into this season that is difficult. Now, I want to be really honest and go, those seasons suck. Like anyone that goes, I'm in a wilderness season, it's so great. You're lying. (laughs) Like the truth is when you're in one of those seasons, it is incredibly difficult. Why? Because one of the things that God does in those wilderness seasons is he tests us. He allows us to be tested and he's proving. He's looking to see, okay, is what you, do you believe this? Has it actually changed your life? Does it, does it pass the test when you face challenges, when you face difficulty, when you're in the desert? How do you respond? What's the substance of your faith? I don't know anyone that goes, you know what I want? I just want more testing in my life. (laughs) Like, if that's you, I don't know if you're being honest, if maybe we should learn from you. But most of us go, I don't really want to be tested. Why? Well, I mean, none of us really love tests in general, but the idea that I actually have to, in some ways, my life has to prove that I believe this. And I'm faced with things that it becomes a challenge that I go, do I actually believe what I say that I believe? And the truth is, and I think any of us that have gone through wilderness or desert seasons, we could acknowledge this, we want to rush the process. If I could just get it as quickly as I can and be done with this and be out of it and move on to something better because the meantime sucks. And so we rush the process. And if you hear nothing else, And it's just a little throwaway nugget, but if you hear nothing else, I want you just, don't waste the wilderness. Don't waste those seasons. If that's where you are, if God wants to test some things in you, challenge you, don't waste that. Don't be so fixated on trying to get through it that you miss what God wants to do in the midst of that. Sometimes he's led you there and he has a purpose. Don't shortcut that process. Don't waste the wilderness. In the seasons of testing and trial, go with God exactly where he's leading you in the pace that he's leading you in. Luke 4, 1-2 says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry, obviously. Eating nothing for 40 days. 
I'm being really honest. Like, I'm struggling between three and five, but I get to eat. Like, last night we had steak, and then I also had chicken because I was hungry. And I cooked both, and I ate them quick. I think I ate the chicken before we even had the steak out, and the kids hadn't even come in. I was like, because it hits five o'clock on my phone, and I'm like, what can I put in my mouth? What can I eat immediately? I'm like, anything that's quick, so I better make sure I have something cooked. Jesus doesn't get a reprieve at five. 40 days of no food. 40 days. Think about how awful that would be and challenging that would be. And I used to think about that, especially from my human perspective, going like, that sounds horrific. 40 days of no food. 40 days of fasting. That sounds so difficult And then on top of that, he's tested and tempted by the devil. So it's not enough that he's fasting, he's also face-to-face with the devil. And if you're unfamiliar with fasting, uh, now that I've talked about it a little bit, fasting is, as Christians, a spiritual discipline that we take, that that we increasingly have not necessarily done, but as a church we want to do more, where where we don't eat, where we starve ourselves to some degree, we weaken ourselves physically, we, we choose not to eat, and not just so that we are weak physically, but because when we're weak physically, we're actually strong spiritually. We fast so that we are strong spiritually. Fasting is a way for us to hear God more clearly. It's a way for us to break through walls that we've struggled to break through. It, it is a way for us to connect more meaningfully. And fasting is about more than fasting from TV or social media. If you do that, great, but that's not really a fast. That's just abstaining. Fasting is about food. Fasting is when you say, I'm not going to eat, whether it's specific things or I'm not going to eat at all for specific times. There's a book that Richard Foster wrote on celebration of disciplines, and he says this, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. More than any other discipline, fasting shows us the things that control us. I will tell you from personal experience right now, that is so true. Because between three and five, I know what controls me. What are the things that are controlling us? I notice it in other ways. It's not even just food. I just, I notice this tendency that we have to make ourselves feel better in the short term. And so what does it look like as we are fasting and experiencing discomfort? When you fast, the reality of what controls you is confronted by you. So Jesus is fasting for 40 days. And he's becoming increasingly strong spiritually. This is not where he's just so hungry that he can't think about anything but his hunger. This is actually where he is coming face to face with the devil, with Satan. And he's hungry and he's strong. Devil's going to test Jesus. And he's testing him in this season where Jesus is prepared to handle the challenge. I want you to know that I believe that to be true for us. That if we are recognizing that maybe we're going into a season of of difficulty or maybe even in preparation, that as we fast, we prepare ourselves to handle that. Like we're fasting not so that we go, uh, you know what, I just, I don't want to eat and maybe I want to lose some weight. We're fasting because we're going, as we face difficulties, we want to make sure we're spiritually strong. We don't want to just be physically strong. We want to be spiritually strong. 
Jesus is spiritually strong as he comes face to face with the devil. And the devil is going to do his part to, to test Jesus. And he, and he does some things that are really interesting that I think are helpful. And if you pay careful attention, and we're going to actually work through it, he, he, he invites Jesus to believe a lie and then live like that lie is true. Okay, so let's, let's work through it. I'll read it all and then we'll go through piece by piece. In verse 3, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said. Because they are mine to give to anyone I please, I will give them all to you if you'll worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. The devil is crafty and tricky, but he uses three different moves, three different strategies, three different lies that he's trying to to invite Jesus to bite and buy into. And and we notice this in our own lives, and actually there's some echoes here. So we saw the three temptations. This actually calls to our memory if, if we recognize it. There's another passage that echoes these same three patterns. And what's important for us, and I want for us as a church, is for us to be really mindful of the attacks and the strategies and the lies. For us to pay careful attention, to be human lie detectors, to go, yes, something's not right. That sounds like. And so there's this other passage in 1 John 2, 16, where we see these same strategies, and, then, and they're condensed so it's helpful for us So it says, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. So what does the enemy of our souls offer? The same thing the world offers here. Craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. We see these same three things in the ways that Satan tests Jesus. I want to show you. So first, the craving for physical pleasure. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Before he even starts, he's calling into question his identity. Now, here's what's significant about this. In the previous chapter, Jesus had been baptized. One of my favorite things about kids' ministry is our kids came home last week and they told us the entire story of Jesus being baptized, all the detail. And then through the week, repeatedly, were were talking to us about what that meant and the implications. If you want to know why our kids' ministry is amazing, that would be a significant part because they're teaching kids not just to learn the Bible story and then leave it, but to actually go, what does that look like in your life? Last week in Luke 3, Jesus is baptized, and as he comes out of the water, the clouds break, 
And God from on high says, this is my son and I love him and I'm proud of him. Before Jesus did anything else, God is affirming his identity. What's the first thing that Satan does? Is he goes, if you are the son of God. God's just said it, but if it's actually true. I want you to know that he does the exact same thing for us. If you're really a son or a daughter of God, if, you're really, if you really belong to the family, and he's speaking here to this, this desire for physical pleasure, this craving for physical pleasure, what he's saying to Jesus is, if you are, in fact, the son of God, you shouldn't be hungry. If you are, in fact, who you say you are, you should not experience this kind of difficulty. He's saying, listen, who cares about your spiritual growth? Aren't you hungry? Who cares about this time that you wanted to connect with God? Who cares about this season that you wanted to navigate well? Who cares about any of that? Aren't you hungry? Don't you feel the hunger? Aren't you uncomfortable? Isn't this uncomfortable for you? Don't you want to just avoid it and just eat something and then be done with it? You sacrificed. Just give in. This has been hard, but you know what? You've done enough. Just, just give in. Just, just do what I want you to do. I think that this speaks to the lie that we tell ourselves, and certainly if we pay careful attention, we hear all the time, certainly in advertising, you deserve it. You deserve this. You did six push-ups. Eat that donut. Enjoy that donut, right? Or it's like, or it's like you know what? You got an old car. It still runs, but it smells weird. You deserve a new car. And not just a new to you car, a new car. So just get that massive car loan because you deserve it because it'll make your life so much better. Or you go, uh, you know what? Uh, I have a bunch of debt, but, but I've worked hard and I want new clothes. You deserve it. Go get those clothes because it'll make you feel better. This craving for physical pleasure, it's this lie. If you just get this, if it's food or stuff, then you'll feel better. It will provide you pleasure. The problem is that it, it overpromises and it underdelivers. And we get those things. And I notice it in my own life. Like you go, okay, I get the thing that I think I want. And then within a few weeks, it's not new and shiny anymore. And it's not that exciting. And you go, well, that's different. But I bought into the lie. At, at its core, it's the lie that we hear all the time, that regardless of consequences, just do what makes you feel good. Just do what makes you feel good. Fasting doesn't feel good. Sacrificing doesn't feel good. Serving doesn't feel good. Our team comes at 7.30, snowing and they're moving stuff. That doesn't feel good, so just don't do it. It's hard. It's hard to grow. Don't bother doing it. Reading the Bible is hard. It's difficult. It's so confusing. So don't do it. Just avoid it. Go watch Netflix. Praying is difficult. Like I just, I feel like it's so inconvenient. I never have the time. So don't do it. Just hop on your phone and start scrolling. It's hard. It's difficult. It's inconvenient. Yeah, so don't do it. It's way better if you just do whatever makes you feel good. Then you'll feel better. Just, just do what makes you feel good. And then we look at our lives and we go, it's not really helping us. I don't really see that, that I'm finding myself growing. I'm just craving more stuff and other things and more 
pleasure and physical pleasure. Like I go, I just want more, 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 more. Jesus knows all of this, even if we struggle with it. So he responds to Satan's invitation and temptation, and he says, but Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. He's quoting this passage in Deuteronomy, and it says, rather we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the reminder for us. God is our source of everything. He's our source for everything. And when Satan tries to tempt Jesus with this craving for physical pleasure and, and doing something to, to make himself feel momentarily good, Jesus reorients his perspective to God and his sufficiency in God. The sufficiency that God has to actually provide what we need. I want you to know, even in moments where you second guess it, God can be trusted. He can be trusted to know us better and know what we need better than we do. And we say, I need this. And he goes, no, you want that. This is what you actually need. We can trust God. We can actually come to him and believe that he is willing and wishing the best for our lives. Even if it confronts, I just want to do whatever I want to do that makes me feel good. We can find true contentment in God, all the other stuff, it's like a mirage that we get it and it never satisfies. That is not God. Those things are a shadow of what God can offer us. At some level, Satan would love for us to settle for less than God's absolute best for us. So we see this craving for physical pleasure from 1 John 2.16 and this temptation. And the second, a craving for everything we see. Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. The devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please, I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus' arrival signals the arrival of a new kingdom, God's kingdom. And Satan is offering, before he's done anything, he's offering Jesus the keys to that kingdom. He's testing Jesus. He's going, I can give you all of this. You just have to worship me. He's testing him. John Mark Homer in his book, Live No Lies, he says that he's inviting Jesus to shortcut the process. He's inviting Jesus to give into the desire to take his kingdom by an easier way, to get the right thing the wrong way. Jesus knew that he had to suffer and die in order to fulfill what he was supposed to do. Jesus knew exactly what he was supposed to do, and Satan was trying to convince him, just take the easy way. Don't you know how hard that's going to be? Don't, don't do that. Just take it the easy way. Don't you see what I can give you? Just, just take it. Just skip the difficult thing. This is such a part for us that's such a challenge because we want a shortcut. Like, that's a world that we live in, right? If you were looking at how much consumer debt the average Canadian has, you would see this as being a lie we've bought in hook, line, and sinker. We go, if I can just shortcut. So we look at our parents. If we're, if we're my age or a little bit younger, if we're in our 20s, we look at our parents who have worked for, for 30 plus years, and we go, I want what they have, but I want it right now. I want the big house and the car. And they worked all the time to get there. Like, I want it right now. So we're in massive debt because we want to shortcut it. But think about it even from a spiritual perspective. 
I, I want the outcome without paying the price along the way. I want quick, I want quick fix. I want microwave. I want to watch one YouTube video and have it change everything. And then I'm like, now I'm good. I don't want to pay the price along the way. The problem is that we shortchange and we shortcut our future. And all the things that God wants to do as he's developing us and shaping us, we miss out on that and we become these versions of ourselves that, that aren't resilient and frankly don't look particularly mature. We want to shortcut the process. There is this craving for what we see around us. This craving to just get whatever we want and do whatever we want to get there and lose our souls and self in the process. Jesus is being invited here. Don't just, don't, don't worship God. Worship Satan. Worship him in all of this. And Jesus replied, the scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. I just want you to know, even for Lee and I, when we're looking at the future, like when we planted Collective, we did not expect COVID. It wasn't like we were like, we know this is coming, and we're just really excited about it. That would be not true, right? We knew, okay, this is what God wants to do, and our heart and commitment is for the long haul. We go, we imagine pastoring here for the rest of our, our careers and lives. Like, that's what we want to do. But in the midst of all of that, you can have these moments where you could shortcut things and you go, I don't want this. This is uncomfortable. I don't want to do this. But our heart's desire increasingly has been, I don't want to, we don't want to go anywhere if God's not in it. Like if God's not in every single step, every single bit, we don't want to go there. If it's not all along the way worshiping God and everything we do, an act of worship before him, we don't want to go. But it raises the question of, well, what is worship? Like, we've heard the word, we use the word, do we know what the word even means? Worship is what we value above everything else. It's what ultimately has our hearts. It's the object of our ultimate affection. And so the the question becomes for us is, is that true in your life? Is God the ultimate object of your affection? Or are there other things, other things that are drawing you towards? Because the invitation for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, apprentices of the way, is for our heart to constantly be reoriented and the object of our affection to constantly be switched back to, God, I want it to be you and only you. I don't want the other stuff. I don't want the shortcut. I don't want to shortchange what you want to do. I want you and only you. And finally, Satan tempts Jesus for the, very, for the third time. So he's tried a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and now he tries pride in our achievements and possessions. Now you might read that one and go, how does this fit? I want to show you. So then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Satan was encouraging Jesus, jump off from the tallest part of the temple. And if you jump off, God will protect you. He will take care of you. What is he saying? He's saying, do something miraculous. Dance, monkey, dance. Do something miraculous right now. Don't you trust God? Just do it. 
Don't you trust him? Find a spot and just jump off. But he's wanting, he's wanting him to do something in his timing, not God's timing. I want you to know that God will not be controlled. As soon as, that we, can, as soon as we can control God, God ceases to be God. God does not do well with doing things in other people's timing. And one of the things that's so beautiful, beautiful about Jesus is Jesus would consistently get away with God and hear his will. Like he was always closely going, I want to walk step in step with you, step by step going where you go. And what is Satan inviting him to do? Yeah, that all sounds great, but don't you trust him? Do something miraculous. Well, what would happen? If, if Jesus did that, but God wasn't asking him to do it, who gets all the glory? Well, it's not God. Now think about in your own life. I, I believe wholeheartedly that in each one of us, God wants to do incredibly miraculous things. Now what that looks like, it's not going to all be nice and shiny and perfect and exactly what we want, but I do believe that God wants to do miraculous things through us as Jesus' followers. But I also think if we are trying to manufacture that, we've missed it. If we're going, I need to manufacture some amazing things so people can go, wow, you're so spiritual. How did you do it? Let me tell you, I have four steps. If that's our heart with all of that, it is wrong because we're just focused on our own achievement, our own glory, our own attention. The invitation for us and what Satan is speaking to that is flipping it is going, we want to we wanna go where God's already going so that he gets all the glory. When he does miraculous things that he gets the attention for it, not us. And Satan is whispering that lie even to us, like, don't you trust God? Just do whatever you think. You think you should do that and hopefully God blesses it. Don't you trust him? But if God's not going, we don't want to go there. Jesus responded to that. The scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. Three times Jesus is tempted. Three times over the 40 days of fasting he's tempted. And he does not fail. He stands strong. He stands firm. So notice there's some patterns here. One, that in each of the times that he is trying to test Jesus, he is trying to challenge his identity. He does the same with us. Satan would love for us to second guess who we are and the fact that we belong to God. He does this for us. He tries to lie to us. He tries to distort the truth. Says things like, if you were this, if you were, if you are someone beloved by God, if you're a son or a daughter of God, you shouldn't have to do. You shouldn't need to deal with. You should be protected from. You deserve to do whatever you want. These are lies. And we need to pay attention to them. The devil speaks in lies, but he is predictable and he has a pattern. And so when we begin to put it through a filter, we begin to see how those lies and that how they, they are insidious and how they shape how we live. He uses those three broad strategies, craving for physical pleasure, craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. And the truth is that those three things, they speak to the undercurrent of our hearts. Like all of us want to feel good, Right? None of us want to endure pain and difficulty. We want our life to be pretty good. All of us want what we want. We see things and we want it. 
And we want to take pride in our stuff and our actions. Like there's a part of us in this that you go, there's this intrinsic part where there's the struggle and the wrestle. And the invitation every time we face that is, do I want my way or do I want God's way? Do I want to do my thing or his thing? Do I want to follow the way of Jesus or my way of living? I want us to think, even just in our own life, to reflect a little bit on how he might whisper some of these things to us. Some of the lies that the enemy might whisper that fall in these categories. Maybe it's, if you were really God's son or God's daughter, he'd never make you deal with the difficult thing you're dealing with. If you were actually loved by God, he would never put you through what you're being put through right now. He would never do that. That's a lie. Remember that sometimes God leads us into the wilderness. Sometimes he allows other people to test us. Why? Because he wants to form us and shape us. And there's no nice answer. When you're dealing with difficult things, if someone goes, well, it's all God's plan, you go, screw you. But the truth is that what if God wants to redeem broken things, which is what he does for our benefit? And Satan tells us, yeah, but you should not ever have to deal with that. God should protect you if he really loves you. But that is not how God works. He didn't protect his own son. Why? Because he cares too much about us to protect us from things that are actually going to help us grow and actually help us to get better. Maybe that's the lie. Or if God actually cared about you, he'd never ask you to lay down your plans or your desires. He would never ask you to live in a way that is contradictory to your truth. He would never do that. The problem is that's a lie. Because our hearts aren't always the best indicator of where we are going to thrive. I mean, we're given our own room. We get agency to do whatever we want. Uh, I don't know if you've paid attention, but humanity's not doing so well. Like our track record for choosing well has not been so strong. And we go, I just need more freedom. And you go, yeah, let me know how that works out for you. Instead, we go, God actually has plans and purposes, and he wants us to sacrifice some of the things that we think in order to choose what he says will cause us to flourish and thrive, even if they do not make sense. Maybe the lie is, if God really loved you, He'd let you do whatever you want. Any of the parents that are in this room know how harmful that is with your kids because I know the, some of the ki- things that my kids would like to do. If I, let, if I let Parker, he would eat candy every single meal all day and have diabetes, <laughs> right? And he'd be happy, like, oh, I feel great. I'd be like, man, this is not good. There are things that I say to him as his dad that I say, No, you don't get what you want because I know what you need. This is the same thing that's true in our own lives with God. And it it belies this fact that sometimes we struggle to actually believe that God actually loves us enough to go, I want what's best for you. You go, I just I just want to do whatever I want. God goes, Really? Um, I want you to do what's going to cause you to thrive and flourish. And so Satan uses those lies and they're insidious. We hear these lies and we live like they're true. So like this is the, the problem is that we don't pay careful attention to how we're shaped by other voices and other things. And, and we become not necessarily apprentices of Jesus, but apprentices of all these other voices. We find ourselves tempted and, and giving up or struggling or going, yeah, well, 
that seems to be true. If God did love me, he wouldn't let me deal with these difficult things. He wouldn't ask me to fast. He just asked me to love him and do whatever I felt like. And yet that is not true. Jesus comes face to face with these temptations that we come face to face with all the time. And yet he stands strong. He doesn't give in. For so many of us, and I'll fully admit, there are lots of times that I give in. I'm like, well, maybe that would make me, if I ate that, the two family-sized fruit nut, I would feel better. And they're like the two, like the 200-gram ones, like the big doggers. And I'm like, I'll just eat those. Now I feel better. No, I don't feel better. And that's like an innocuous one, but we all have them. We go, if I just, then I would. If I feel physical pleasure, then I'm good. If I, if I get something, then I'm good. If I get someone celebrating my achievements, then I'm good. My value is not in who God says I am. My value is in other things. Buy into the lie. The reality is when we struggle, when we find ourselves face to face with that and we go, how do I do that? I want you to know we have hope because Jesus stood firm. And when we look at Jesus through that lens of being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus and doing what he did, we can look and go, okay, what does it look like for us? What are some practical things that we need to do as we face the lies, as we face the trials, as we face the temptations? The number one thing that you see here, Jesus responded to every lie with truth. He quoted scripture. Now there's a lie that we buy into as Christians. We look at other people and you go, they know so much more about the Bible than I do. I haven't read enough. I don't know enough. Like, I'll admit there are times that people are going, they'll talk to me. And I have my master's degree. And there's people that talk to me. And they're like, you know, in Hebrews 3, verse 33, it says, you know, and I'm like, I don't remember that off the top of my head. Okay, that's in my own world. But some of us, you go, I don't know a bunch of it. And what it causes us to do is it causes us to be paralyzed. Because we're like, I don't know enough, and so I'm not going to read it because I feel stupid, and when I read it, it's hard for me. Can I let you in on a secret of Jesus? And I think that this is so brilliant for those of us that struggle, that feel like, okay, I don't know enough. He didn't quote 17 chapters. He didn't span the entirety of Scripture to that point. He quoted three verses that are separated by one chapter. Okay, three chapters in Deuteronomy, and he quoted three verses from in that. So Jesus wasn't going, um, let me recite all of scripture to you, Satan. He's going, let me take what I know to be true. So what would it look like for us to actually start? Like not go, I don't know anything and I don't want to start. What would it look like for us to begin? And then recognizing as we read that these little nuggets of truth that they speak to the lies that we can believe. Jesus' example here is not reading all of Romans and memorizing it. Jesus' example here is allowing what we read to actually go deep. Reading little bits and allowing it to change us and change our perspective. So every time we face a lie, we are able to respond with truth. And notice, Jesus is not, he's not like proclaiming and screaming. He's just responding and going, yeah, but... Uh, it doesn't say that. God does not say that. Here's what scripture actually says. We find this strategy of memorizing scripture and using it to confront lies. And we also find some other spiritual disciplines. And I mentioned them broadly last week. Disciplines that allow us to turn trying, to turn away from trying, but instead to training. And we find Jesus fasting. He's preparing for the challenge and he's fasting. He's He's taking the spiritual discipline uh, serious. He's also 
finding silence and solitude. All throughout the history of the church, there have been groups of people that actually go into the desert to go to war with Satan. That they get away from all the other stuff and they go, I'm picking a fight. I want to actually stand against the lies and I don't want to just do it as I go about my life. I want to actually get out. What does it look like for us to create time where we can be silent and find solitude? Jesus is speaking truth to the lies, but he's also showing us some actual practical things that we should be doing. If we begin to do those things, and not just think about them, and not just say that sounds like a good idea, but actually integrating them. When we face challenges and when we face lies, we will be more able to stand against it and stand with Jesus. Apprenticeship to Jesus. Be with Jesus. I want you to know that in the midst of the wilderness, just Jesus is there. The Holy Spirit led him in. That means God is with us in the midst of that wilderness. So when you're feeling all of that and you're going, what does it look like to be with Jesus? If you're in wilderness, you're probably in a good spot to go, I need you. Are you here? What does it look like to have that space? We need to stand firm against the the lies that we believe. One of the ways that we can do that is by standing together. It's so much easier for us to confront lies for each other than it is to hear them ourselves. Sometimes we can lie to ourselves really easily. Like, ah, you know, that's like you have a relationship and it's toxic. And you're like, it's not so bad. They're changing. And your friends are like, what are you doing? Or, or, or you're going, ah, it's not that big of a deal. I just want more stuff. And your friends are going, when is more stuff enough? Like what? One of the ways that we do that at Collective is what we call co-groups. Co-groups are a powerful way for us in community to be around eight to ten other people to go, okay, I'm not, in, I'm not on my own. I'm standing together. We're engaging with scripture together. We're listening to God together. We're challenging each other together. We're able to embrace this, these disciplines in community. Disciplines tried to do, that you try to do on your own very rarely succeed, but disciplines we do together tend to last and have significant impact. We're launching our co-groups this week. And so if you're wondering, what does it look like to walk with other people as we do this? You can sign up to co- for co-groups Today, you can sign up actually as you leave. You can go out to Next Steps and Todd will be there with a tablet just to the side and he can sign you up for a co-group. We have them through the week, online, in person. If you're, if you're recognizing that I don't want to just try to do this on my own, I need to be with other people, that is a great place to start. The reality is we are being tempted every single day to choose the way of Jesus or my own way. We're invited to this path that they diverge and one is easier and one is more difficult, the way of Jesus or our own way. I want to let you know that the way of Jesus does not avoid the wilderness. The way of Jesus uses the wilderness to shape and form and test and prove our faith. The way of Jesus doesn't avoid tests and trials. It overcomes them. The way of Jesus does not avoid temptation, it counteracts it. If you're in the room or you're watching online and you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, to surrender to the way of Jesus, we want to give you an opportunity to do so. 
You can fill out a Connect card and let us know. You can talk to the prayer team who will be at the back of this room by the drapes. Or if you're online, you'll see in the chat a button that pops up that, that says, I want to follow Jesus. But if you're in here or you're watching online and you are a follower of Jesus, I want to challenge you and encourage you. What does it look like to actually integrate some spiritual disciplines? What do you hear from what Jesus has navigated that you recognize that's true for me? What are the lies that you are believing? What are the things that you find this is an area where this is a struggle for me? What does it look like to, to join in community to actually grow in that way? What does it mean to not waste the wilderness? I want to encourage us to be resilient followers of the way of Jesus. Even as you read Luke for in your journals this week to, to be thinking a lot about what does it look like to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. Can you imagine if a whole bunch of us, as we're fasting and praying, as we're, as we're memorizing scripture, as we're allowing scripture to change us, if we're doing that and becoming more and more like Jesus, what that would do for our community. It would change our city. It would change our neighborhoods. It, was ch it would change our region. And that is the invitation. It is not to spectate and, and talk about following Jesus, but instead to follow him exactly where he's going, right into the wilderness, right into the challenges, right into the trials, and watching what he wants to do. Let's pray as we worship. God, I'm so grateful that you go before us. I'm grateful that you teach us, that you help us to see the lies that we believe in. God, give us Give us supernatural wisdom and discernment to hear the lies that we're being told and sold. God, whatever you want to do in each one of us, all of us are in different places. May it be clear, if you can pray if one of us in the room is unclear, that someone else would feel the need to go over and tell them, this is what I'm sensing that God is saying. God, what would it look like for us to be people that are ongoing, surrendering to you and your leadership? We need you. Let us not just be people that are Christians in name only, but instead followers of the way of your son, Jesus. Change us, mold us, shape us, and do it as you knit us together as a community. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like more information on Collective Church, find us on social media at This Is Collective Church or reach us on our website, collectivechurch.ca. Thank you for listening and we hope to see you Sunday.